Welcome to the podcast, Beyond the Triangle. I'm Amy Beth Horman, and this is episode 19, entitled Co-Teaching. As usual, I'm going to give you real talk from all the perspectives, student, teacher, adjudicator, and parent. As this is a hot topic for some parents and teachers, I will be pulling from the views of leading teachers that I know who have been kind enough to talk to me about their views on this subject, as well as a number of parents with successful growing young artists who are in the competitive circuit. I will also give some of my own personal accounts on how co-teaching has happened inside of my own studio, going into both its triumphs and its frustrations. And lastly, I will detail how this is working for Ava and I, as we are now partnering with her conservatory teacher while keeping me in practice and still contributing to her education. This is a question we recently received by email, and I'm excited to go into that a little bit with you today. Okay, so let's get started. If you're the parent of a growing young artist, you've likely come across the term co-teaching, Let's first take a moment to give the basic definition of what I think that means and what it might entail. Co-teaching is generally when a student and parent and teacher decide to engage in training with more than one private teacher. This is a decision that requires the knowledge and go-ahead of all entities, and it's put in place to benefit the student. There are many pros and cons and ways to organize co-teaching, which I will be detailing in today's podcast. But before we get into the interesting ins and outs of co-teaching, I think we should take a second to assess if we are already involving other teachers in our child's education. Even with one private teacher, many young artists will have a chamber coach, a brilliant collaborative pianist, a symphony orchestra conductor. If you take a step back, you might be able to see that it is already a very collaborative effort. This brings us back to the title of my podcast, Beyond the Triangle. While in the beginning of the training, you are looking at student, teacher, and parent as the main entities, as they get older and more proficient, you are looking way beyond that triangle and you'll be seeing a much larger group start to become essential to your child's progress. With busy schedules and with children who progress very quickly, it is easy to lose sight of this in the moment. And managing those relationships and interactions is what inspired me to start the podcast to begin with. If you are at a pre-college or in a young artist's program, there are a multitude of people contributing to your child's music education already, so perhaps under that definition, there is already collaborative teaching in effect, and you can see it because you're signing up for those classes specifically and you're paying separate tuition for them too. But is there a lead private teacher or someone who is being consulted first? Who do you list as your teacher, and when do you need to acknowledge the other musicians who are at various times contributing just as much or almost as much? The best answer to this question is to ask them. If you haven't listened to my podcasts on relationships, now is a great time to do so. And here's the thing, you may get different answers than you think. 
You may get a different answer every time you ask the question to similar entities. Each teacher will feel very personally about this, so it is worth taking the time to ask that question. Truly, I believe many are already engaging in a collaboration of sorts without really defining it, and it may behoove everyone, teachers included, to take a second, breathe, and realize how many people are really involved in every polished performance. This will help you better manage these crucial relationships and avoid missteps in communication or lack of acknowledgement. And while many private teachers may feel they are the main educator for a child, especially if they're seeing them multiple times a week, no teacher is an island for these kids. Kids like ours are so sensitive, and they are picking up information and training everywhere. There are going to be so many influences to their playing as they grow, and this is actually ideal so that they can find their unique voice. Here is some of my promised real talk right from the start. Sometimes things move very fast with talented children. It's so exciting. You may have gone from having one private teacher and occasionally seeing a pianist at a studio recital in group rehearsal to a full-on list of people involved in your kids' training in very short time. Never move so fast that you lose sight of who is contributing and how. When that happens, you aren't able to maintain those relationships thoughtfully and with enough grace to model it for your child. They need this for later to build their careers and work in the field. And let's just say this, if you have a history as a studio parent of having trouble communicating your own needs, acknowledging teachers, organizing schedules and deadlines, you will need to tackle these skills head on to be able to engage in productive co-teaching. Otherwise, you are likely going to have some very bent out of shape professional musicians on your hands before long. And remember that the music world is small. Some musicians are incredibly temperamental. There is no way to get around that. And as a studio parent now, I think it's okay to realize you have some personal work to do to manage something like this correctly. I have moments on a regular basis now where I have to stretch my communication skills or work on my social introvertedness or circle back more and review Ava's bio to make sure I'm being the best I can for her in acknowledging everyone. If it feels tricky to some of you, it means you're paying attention. So that's good. These kids will inspire us to grow as people and we will be better for having raised them. Let's talk for a second about my own training years ago and what kind of collaborative efforts were put in place along with some co-teaching. When I trained at conservatory, I had a pianist in every lesson. I also had two rehearsals a week with her to prepare for that private lesson. She was essential to my growth as a musician, both as a young soloist and particularly as a chamber musician. She worked with me tirelessly on countless sonatas and duo pieces. She was both nurturing toward me at times and also very demanding in that we were equals on stage for chamber music. 
She was coaching me in those rehearsals, so she was in a teacher role. She was paid to do so, and she was handpicked by my teacher, who was exceedingly particular about such things. I also worked at times with my teacher's assistant, who was wonderful. I did this when he was away or on tour. So I had at least three people contributing to my growth as a musician on a very regular basis. This combination doesn't seem that unusual, but it could have easily been even more parties involved, especially these days. I could have had a separate chamber coach or a composition instructor to help me with my own writing or cadenzas. Maybe an Alexander Technique instructor to aid in keeping my body in a relaxed state on stage. You name it. But let's just say for now that looking back on it, I was a student who was co-taught by a lead teacher and his assistant, who again I only saw on occasion, so sometimes months went by without seeing him. And I had a truly terrific collaborative pianist. I entered the Paris Conservatory at about 16, so that gives you a timeline. It's kind of fascinating looking back and thinking about how things were done for me way back when. I have to admit, I never saw them directly communicating about me or strategies or what it is that needed to be done one week to the next. But now that I'm a teacher and I have the experiences that I do, I'm positive that they were constantly working for me in the background. Let's fast forward to my teaching back east. At my private studio, I believed our pianist was so amazing that I often asked for his input while we constructed chamber pieces together and occasionally even in the construction of major concerti as we placed the orchestral reduction in rehearsal. In my talks with other teachers recently, I realize that many have this relationship with a main collaborative pianist for their students. Having worked with mine in my own performances so much, I trusted his opinion, and we collaborated on many things with students. He was paid to rehearse with them, but he was also coaching and giving his very valuable musical opinion. His musical ideas and interpretations were so striking that I wanted to make room for his voice in the lessons to contribute to our musical goals. He was so good at it, he became known for having students who placed in competitions and performed at the highest levels at events. He was sought after all over our area and for very good reason. For us, it was a partnership. So to aid in the definition of co-teaching, Were we co-teaching with the pianist? No, I wouldn't say we were, but we were inviting him to collaborate with us on more than chamber literature. So he was more than a collaborative pianist or accompanist in our studio. He had a voice. And when students did well, I acknowledged him always, and he cheered for them as if he were their teacher or mentor. He had no background in violin or violin pedagogy, so he couldn't contribute there, and I had no assistant in my studio, although I thought about it a lot. I did, however, engage in co-teaching with select teachers both in and out of town on occasion, and I also brought in artists for masterclasses every other month to contribute by offering a different set of ideas to my students. 
So there is obviously a lot of collaborative teaching that occurs at the higher levels of learning. I think we can all agree on that. But for the purposes of this podcast, we are going to define co-teaching as two private teachers who have educational backgrounds on the same instrument. It might be that there is a defined lead teacher or an assistant, or maybe there are two equally established teachers, but they are both established instructors of the same instrument. This differentiates them from other music educators who may be contributing to your child's education. So how and why is co-teaching done? When parents choose to embark on this type of co-teaching, it is usually done in separate sessions with two teachers, so not combined in one room as I just described in the collaborative setting. This means extra cost, extra scheduling, and a lot more communication to coordinate between the parties involved. In principle, I think most engage in co-teaching to receive additional instruction and a different point of view. Sometimes, if the core philosophies of the teachers are similar, gaining the insight or inspiration from another teacher can provide a student with more traction in their work and greater motivation to practice. Most parents who embark on co-teaching also believe it will help their child excel. I feel I should point out that most of what I would consider my highest-ranking students were not co-taught. So I don't believe it is necessary to be co-taught to, say, be invited to an international competition like the Menuhin or be chosen for large opportunities. But I do believe that it can, in certain cases, be beneficial to certain students and, in specific situations, it can be to everyone's benefit. Parents may also consider co-teaching when their primary teacher is very busy. And this is likely if your primary teacher is very sought after. They simply would like their child to have more help with their practice during the week. Notice, I used the word help. So for some, when they feel their child needs support in practice, they will have a secondary teacher come to contribute in that way. I don't think this is exactly co-teaching, and I think this can backfire in certain circumstances because, truly, A young artist needs to figure out how to work independently and effectively without supervision. Lessons should not replace practice, and practice should not happen in the lesson either, unless a teacher is demonstrating a tried-and-true practice technique or checking up on yours. When we as parents choose to make most of our child's time with their instruments supervised after a certain age, we're actually blocking them from exploring their voice and understanding their own technique. I think in part, parents make this misstep out of fear that they are behind or that if they're left to their own devices, the children will not meet their goals. But for the long term, teaching them how to practice independently is exceedingly important. And if you have another teacher seeing them a few times a week to practice, their influence could start to disturb or even eclipse the instruction of the main teacher. This is simply not good for anyone. In addition to this, some children are, in my opinion, not great candidates for co-teaching, even though they may be fiercely gifted. They may process information differently or be very tunnel-visioned to find their own voice. 
So co-teaching for them is a little bit like putting them in a loud room full of other voices while they are trying to hear themselves think. If a child, while talented, has trouble applying information from lessons or following instructions, co-teaching might serve to confuse them further. They can still benefit from master classes, occasional instruction from a guest teacher, or in festivals with an assigned teacher. But regular teaching from two different sources might not suit their learning style. I point this out because lately I feel there is an opinion among certain conservatory parents that the more training the better, and that this is the highway to success. But in reality, the decisions we make as conservatory parents need to be a lot more nuanced than that. We need to provide the highest level instruction to them available while allowing them room to take ownership and pride in their work. I can't answer the question I get sometimes, which is how much training is too much? Because each child is different. But I can say that there is no formula and that sometimes the more people there are in a process, the more mistakes can be made. So we need to be thoughtful about whether co-teaching is right for our children, whether it is feasible with our current instructors, and even more thoughtful about how we go about it. So let's get on to the how. For those already co-teaching, how does this happen? Let's outline some common scenarios. In many cases, two teachers will be in the same city and they work well together and have similar philosophies on technique or come from similar pedagogical lines and they will co-teach together. Sometimes they will divide a musical program up for students so they are working on different things according to their perceived strengths. There is typically an agreed upon schedule And in one case, I have done this and felt wonderful knowing I had a teacher who could take over for me temporarily if I was performing or traveling. Here's another scenario. One teacher lives farther away. This can happen when there is a teacher who is known to a student through another setting, like a festival or a master class. Perhaps it is part of a process of exploring teachers who are potentially going to be there for the next level of their training at conservatory or university. Some students will have their main teacher in their home city and then travel out for the second teacher for lessons on a less frequent basis. I have had students do this on occasion to form a working relationship with teachers who could be influential to them later in admissions to large festivals or opportunities. Another common scenario is assistant teaching. We have all heard about this with large studios where there are assistants in place and then a main teacher of much greater influence who is seen less often. I experienced this as a young student and it worked beautifully for me, but I saw the main teacher almost all the time. In the cases of some of my colleagues, it didn't feel like a great fit for them at all. In these scenarios, you may find you are more studying with the assistants and are lucky to see that main teacher when they are not traveling or busy. Sometimes those main teachers can be very choosy who they spend their time with. The assistant may not be what you were hoping for either in their level of co-teaching or experience. 
In other cases, it is a very scheduled arrangement where you only see assistant on occasion and are mainly cared for by the lead teacher. If the lead teacher is an avid performer, this is why the assistant is there for you, and that was the case for me. They are usually very carefully selected to maintain traction in your education while your main teacher is away. There is a distinct advantage to working with a teacher who has a lot of performance experience to lend to competitive students. And so for some, this is an ideal scenario, particularly if the assistant is very strong themselves. If you are considering this scenario, I recommend you ask for as much information as you can get on that assistant. You will need to have utter confidence in them. Sometimes the assistant is not working at as high a level as another teacher who is also in the area and could be serving you full time. These are like balancing act situations for parents to decide on. If your child is still developing their technique and has not yet succeeded consistently in competitions or opportunities, I have to advise against a scenario with a lead teacher who is widely unavailable unless their assistant is also very highly ranked. I have seen parents make this mistake quite a bit, favoring a big-name teacher on their resume, but they forget that real training still needs to be had during this time. Another thing to think about is, if you're working mainly with the assistant, and then when you see the main teacher, they seem wholly unsatisfied with most of what's been going on, it might be time for you to make a switch. Your main teacher might be a really big player in the violin world, so having their name on your resume does mean something to them. If what they're hearing from you when they finally see you doesn't really match what they'd like, things will need to be reconfigured. Here's another scenario. Co-teaching for specialized pieces or with teachers who have specialized experience. I call this targeted co-teaching. I've done this very successfully with students who were in international rounds for competitions and were assigned pieces that were obscure to compete on. While my repertoire is large, I didn't know the block sonata, for example, for one student. So I searched for someone who had a lot of stage experience on it by casting a wide net out. And I found a former teacher of mine who was willing to co-teach in that circumstance to offer that extra layer of information. Turned out he had performed it many times at Juilliard years before. I learned the sonata in the meantime and was able to take over quickly, but I was so grateful for the immediate knowledge he could lend because we were on a tight deadline. I also have had some teachers step in and co-teach with me on periods they specialized in if I admired their approach very much, or even if it reminded me of what I saw a student attempting to create in their own playing. So this might be an unaccompanied box sonata or a 20th century work I've heard them perform. In these cases, scheduling a few targeted lessons has yielded terrific outcomes for those students, and in my opinion, gives them a nice opportunity to receive a different style of teaching with someone I trust and respect. Now, surely there are many, many different combinations of styles of co-teaching, but hopefully I've listed some of the main ones. So let's say you're someone who wants to move forward with the possibility of co-teaching. 
What's next? And how should you proceed? Here are what I consider to be the ground rules, and these are important. They are important because when they aren't followed, there could be a major breach of trust, and everyone can land themselves in trouble. So if you are considering co-teaching, consider taking notes here. Transparency is a must. If you want to consider co-teaching, you should discuss the mere possibility of it first with your teacher before taking any action whatsoever. Do not assume that because they have co-taught in the past that they are still willing to do so or that they are willing to do so with your child. Do not go try out another teacher to see if you would like to involve them before making this proposal to your main teacher. This will be a moot point if your teacher is not willing to co-teach right now or ever. And by having that trial lesson with the potential secondary teacher, this could be misconstrued as studio shopping and could land you without any teacher at all. Remember, I promised you real talk. Your current teacher may very well have a history, good or bad, with another teacher, and you will need to factor that in. It may even come as a surprise to you, and that's normal. We have lots of experiences, good and bad, with other teachers that we wouldn't have reasons to share with you until now. Please understand, too, that some teachers will not be open to co-teaching for a multitude of reasons. Many of these reasons might have nothing to do with you or your child, but they're still very valid. Here are a few. Some just don't have the extra time as much as they might be okay with the idea of co-teaching. Many teachers I know are working 50 to 60 hours a week, and their work is very intense. They don't get paid leave in most circumstances or have days which require much less of them. Back east, at the end of what used to be 10 to 12-hour intense teaching days, I was almost hypersensitive to sound or touch because my brain and ears had been in overdrive with no real break. This is not like an office job, and with the highest level teaching, even when students are scheduled strategically, which I endeavored to do, I found myself unable to do much on my rare day off, but just be with family. So communicating and strategizing with another teacher and the extra workload that that entails, even if you believe in it, might not be in the cards. Remember that you are not asking them to work less by sharing with another teacher. You are actually asking them to work more in most cases because of the increased need for delegating and organizing schedules and goals. Adding another person is rarely going to mean less work. Also, some teachers may refuse co-teaching because they have had a poor experience in the past. Perhaps they've encountered losing a few students to the additional teacher or have ended up in quarrels over fingerings or styling. In the end, they may feel they wasted energy on a collaboration which yielded very little benefit to the student by the end. When communication is lacking or personalities clash, there are often feelings of bitterness or resentment if one teacher feels they're doing most of the work or fulfilling all of the clerical duties. Okay, back to the ground rules. If your teacher is open to co-teaching, there also needs to be an understood prior agreed-upon schedule of responsibilities. 
This is an easy one, and it's typically decided by the teacher who's already in place. And while it might be surprising to some, this is not something the parent has a lot of input in, nor should it be. You will need to trust your teacher to tell you if and how they think this might work and benefit your child. Sometimes I find the parent has given it already a lot of thought, and it's hard for them to shift over to what you know from your experience teaching will work best. I understand why the parents have given it so much thought because it involves more investment in time, energy, and finances, but they will need to be fluid on this or there will be trouble from the start. Here's another ground rule. If terms change, everyone needs to be consulted. With busy schedules and auditions always around the corner, it might seem like no big deal to change the prior schedule or agreements to receive extra training or swap repertoire, but everyone should be consulted. If you have divided your child's rep between two teachers but are on a tight timeline and want to visit the other half of your repertoire with the second teacher, for example, it may seem in the moment to just be a strategic move on your part, but it's a breach of trust. There is a reason they have divided the repertoire. Ask first. If you want to increase hours with the second teacher or frequency of those lessons, ask. Too often, parents will do what they think is right with all the best intentions for their children, but teachers at this level are building repertoire and scaffolding lessons and rehearsals like an architect. If you alter things without consulting, the whole building can fall down, and that is not an exaggeration to these teachers. Have respect for their process. Your teacher is skilled in this, and you should consult them first. Okay, what about strategies, goals, deadlines, letters of reference, or clerical duties? These need to be shared or assigned clearly. And this is a big one. There's a lot of lesson planning at the higher levels. There is strategy in the scheduling of piano rehearsals or practice performances, rep classes, master classes, recording schedules, the list goes on. Then there are clerical duties that are beyond the responsibility of the parent, like applications that need signatures, reference letters, or emails asking special permissions or questions to competitions. If your rep is divided, you can leave strategy and planning to each individual teacher, but if not, they will need to confer. Then the clerical duties will need to be divided or assigned. When people forget to have these conversations, conflicts arise, deadlines pass, the blame game can start, and this friction can eclipse all benefits of the co-teaching, in my opinion. Remember that in the middle of it is your incredibly talented kid. So here's something to think about. Is your teacher willing to expend that extra time and energy with another teacher planning and strategizing, then circling back decisions to you, the parent? Because this will inevitably be needed if you are going to really reap the benefits of co-teaching. You know your teacher and their communication style already, and you also know how busy they are. So give this some thought and then ask them honestly about it. When I have co-taught, I was in regular contact with the other teacher. It was not lost on me for a second that I was signing on to more effort and more time, and sometimes with no extra pay, 
I did it for the student because I wanted to and because I believed it would work. Speaking of pay, think of the rates you are paying your teachers and how you are dividing these duties, particularly if their rates happen to differ. It's a conversation I think worth having because not only does communication between them take time, but all of those extra duties do too. You would do well to consider offering them an extra monthly fee for the time to coordinate efforts in the way I've described. But even just an earnest conversation about it can go a long way. Here's another ground rule. Shared repertoire, edits, or approach needs to be unified or agreed upon. If you're sharing repertoire between teachers, they may have vastly different edits. This needs to be decided right from the start. Otherwise, children aren't sure who to listen to and end up doubting themselves, too. Let's say you have an out-of-town teacher who is handling a part of your child's repertoire, but that child will be presenting it as a part of a competition program in town using your main teacher's name. You will likely want the main teacher's edits, or if they aren't familiar with the piece for whatever reason, you will need their approval on the edits. Sound complicated? It really isn't. Let me use my situation with Ava as an example. Last week, we got an assigned piece for an audition on a very tight timeline. I notified her teacher immediately of the assigned piece. He had asked me to text him as soon as I got the email saying what that piece was. He asked then to confer on fingerings. I told him which edition I had and asked if I could start her with the knowledge that he could change things at the next lesson, which was the following day. We arrived next day with her using my fingerings and bowings. He changed a few things, asked me each time what I thought, and also asked Ava, We left some of the edits in place and then changed a few others. Another time, he gave me edits to a very well-known piece, and a few of them looked kind of out of the ordinary to me, so I asked how strongly he felt about them. I'm used to playing it the other way, and he respects me as a player and a teacher. He urged me to try them for a week and then to update him. I did that for Ava, and by the end of the week, I liked his edits just as much and for different reasons. So in the end, we collaborated and found our way. But we did it quickly so she could have what she needed in good time to be working in earnest and with confidence. This seems a nice segue into my partnership with Ava's teacher, which I've received a lot of questions about recently, especially now that I've joined faculty at SFCM. As Ava's first violin teacher, I still contribute quite a bit to her education. And even though I consider myself for Ava to be second in line to her studio teacher, Davis Law, I know how valuable my role is in her education. For her, I think it's very healthy for her to know that Davis is her main teacher and I'm contributing passionately as much as I can to help her at home. That way, she gets support from both of us. I'm having to pitch in a lot to prepare a full program lately, and he and I easily chat twice a week to clarify what we're going to work on or rehearse with piano for each session we have with him. 
with many pieces on deck. We don't hit all of them every day. So knowing what we will be working on in each lesson with Mr. Law helps us structure her practice more strategically at home. This is typically what teachers are tasked with when they're co-teaching too. We work beautifully together in large part because we respect one another and our philosophies are in line with one another too. I am genuinely interested in his approach on her literature, and he feels the same. We are also not teachers who feel it's our way or the highway, so to speak. We subscribe more to the idea that everyone finds their way individually. So when it comes to bow grip, left hand, and the basics, we're not looking for cookie-cutter answers, but more solutions that fit a student's size, specific hands, and abilities while keeping the fundamentals of violin pedagogy in mind. And sure, I have my personal edits on the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto, and to say I feel passionately about them is not at all an understatement. But I also know they've evolved over the course of many years, working with lots of people and many conductors, and I'm fluid and curious enough to want to know his opinions and edits too. Beyond that, Ava's fingers are way longer than mine, and we may need to adjust things for that reason. To me, nothing about this artistic process can be too rigid that we forget to approach every student as an individual. And it is also my opinion that one pair of ears is never enough. So welcoming another teacher I respect in my studio or welcoming another teacher in my daughter's education is something that generally appeals to me with certain stipulations in place. I mention this because not all teachers will be good candidates for co-teaching, and that doesn't mean that they aren't excellent teachers in their own right. They may initially agree to it, but if they are very set in their own way to the point where they aren't genuinely willing to consider other opinions or ideas, this is not a great basis for co-teaching. They may want to contribute, But if in doing so they are undermining or challenging the other teacher's work with their own ideas, your child could actually move backwards and not forwards. So if you have an initial conversation with your teacher and they are open to co-teaching, it isn't as simple as that because you need to also have the right candidate for a second teacher in the mix and you'll need to try it out to see if the two of them can work together. This could be the trickiest part, in my opinion. Okay, last ground rule for today. There can be really egregious errors in forgetting to mention other teachers in accomplishments. Parents sometimes will unwittingly contribute to this, listing more prominent teachers first and omitting the names of the assistants or other teachers involved. If you are a parent going into the world of co-teaching, you need to be fully ready to get in the habit of marking both teachers on all forms or applications, because if awards or prizes result, you will need both teachers listed. I have rarely been left off of a program or form, but I have spoken to teachers where this has happened, and the parents seem caught unaware as to why this should be such a lasting upset to a teacher. I think they feel it is the student's achievement, ultimately, or that it is just one event or competition after all. I think asking parents how it would feel in their job if they did not receive credit for hours or years of work they did, it helps them understand. In the end, yes, it is always the student's achievement, and all teachers worth their salt know this, but no student stands alone. 
And just like any job, work is still work, even if you love it. Teaching careers and appointments in large institutions are still built on a combination of factors, which include student successes. So who you acknowledge and who you forget to acknowledge has ramifications. And because the music world is so small, there have been occasions where teachers talk to one another and they discover that that teacher was left out of someone's bio or someone's list of accomplishments. And it can be befuddling at first, but then it generally lands on the parent. If a prominent teacher knows that you as a parent have failed to acknowledge other teachers in the past, it could cast you in a light that makes them less likely to take on the teaching of your child. So it's something to think about. Remember that at the beginning of the episode, I urged you to just ask. So if you're unsure who you should be marking down for what, asking the question is always the best next move. If you're a parent that's in the middle of listening to this and thinking, this sounds like a lot of rules, It might feel that way at first, but just know that like most things at this level of teaching, there needs to be a lot of thought put into how you go about adding more people to an already very strategic process. Only you know how busy the schedule already is and how you're dealing with things as a parent on an emotional level. For many parents, as their children go into the more advanced stages of learning, There are periods where they feel overwhelmed and they wonder whether they're making steps in the right direction. These are normal feelings. And my best advice to you during these times is to not take on additional changes or teachers. It could be that now's a time to sit back and get used to the system that is already in place. Remember that you're modeling confidence and faith and a healthy mindset to your young artist. So if you need to take a little while to gather yourself, do it. After all, when your young artist is older and entering the workplace, they'll need to take a little bit of time every once in a while too for quality control and to make sure they aren't doing too much at once. So seeing you take that step back to get used to what's already happening would be a really wonderful thing for them. And for those of you who are poised and ready to add another aspect of your child's training and try and put it in place in a way which is trusting and responsible and energetic, I wish you the best of luck. I do believe that although some parents have described co-teaching as a game of Jenga, for others it has worked beautifully for their young artists. I think the truth lies in the details. And by educating yourselves on the process and what might be expected, you're giving yourself the time to consider all aspects of something before investing more, not just financially, but in your energy too. What works for some may not work for others. And my hope is that with episodes like today, parents find themselves more confident in tailoring an education for their child that works for them, their families, and their journey. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Podbean. If you have a question or a topic you would like to discuss on Beyond the Triangle, my ears are wide open. 
write me at beyondthetrianglepodcast at gmail.com and let's connect. Let's connect.